morning has turned to afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. But the grind carries on. Not just the grind physically, but the grind mentally. The Midday Grind, featuring a couple of TV jockeys who've also been through the radio wars. <laughs> Serious? Martin Kilcoin. I was a little lit, so I was saying whatever I wanted. And Charlie Marlowe. Our top story tonight, John Jay will be back tomorrow. Here's him getting a hit in 2012. It's the Midday Grind on 590 The Fan and 590TheFan.com. got a show to do right here right now we midday just got in at the, the wire too good lord straight good a to buzzer. see you buddy are we live d-t-o-y and people are retweeting that now and i don't know they don't know what they know they, they, they no don't know idea. what that means they don't Martin know what they is know the king of like inside jokes that, that is like, correct nobody has a clue what he's Who talking cares? about 622 is no longer an inside joke people are into that are they into it yeah they're into it okay how do you define into it they like it Okay. People are wearing jerseys now around and just says say 622 on the, blue back. on the back. I like <laughs> that. Did you see him at the game tonight? No. Kenny Alvarez says, and 622 is seated <laughs> in section 119. <laughs> you didn't see it? 622 Blue Strick is here. We've got a series tied at two, just as it was. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg, Dallas, San Jose. I don't remember who they played. Does this feel any different from those two twos? You get there in different ways. Winnipeg, of course, it was disappointment because you lost two straight at home and you went on the road. Now, this follows the San Jose pattern where you lost game three. It was disappointing. Not only the hand pass, but you blew a late lead. So that was a really disappointing, frustrating loss, but came back big in a game four, then hit the road and won that game. Dallas was a game five at home. Lost that game on a Friday night. Played poorly in that game. Yeah, recollection. and then had to go to Dallas to win the big game six to bring it home. So, what is there any correlation to any of those series? I don't know. I, there's no correlation from the previous game. There's no Correct. correlation to the next game. There's no correlation from any game in the playoffs. That's why we always say every playoff game takes on a different life of its own. So the Blues weren't very good in Game Three. They came back. No surprise. Played a much better game in Game Four. People are calling it, well, the best game they've played all year. I mean, listen, we've seen the Blues play that way a lot, even in the playoffs and even going back to the regular season. That's just how they have to play if they want to have success. And you can expect Boston to be much better coming up in Game 5 with their fans behind them, getting the last change. Um, and we can talk about that, how important that'll be, because they're not going to have Zidane Chara and, and, and how that may impact them on the back end. They're going to bring in Stephen Camper, who's played a couple of playoff games 
here this year. He's played a handful of games in the National Hockey League out of the University of Michigan, and he scored a goal earlier in the year this year in the playoffs too. So he's a guy who brings some mobility for people who don't know who he is. He's more of a puck-moving guy, certainly doesn't bring the intimidating size or presence that a guy like Chara does. But again, having the last change. If you're not going to have Chara, you want to make sure it's at home so you can get the guys out there you want against the Blues' best players. I think Frank channeling his inner Pierre Lebrun earlier was ringside during the Bruins skate, and he seemed to indicate maybe that Grizzly might be back. Do you think that's premature? I was told by somebody with the, with the, with the Bruins um, in last game that he will play later on in the series. Now... Um, Getting late. <laughs> you don't get a whole lot of, well, no. I'm saying, I know, but I'm saying it won't be a whole lot later in the series. Game six, of course. you got three games left, man, right? right. I mean, that's, that's. He just manned me, yes. Half the, All right, bro. That's half of the. I know, I'm kidding, but I'm so, saying you, bet you can't wait a whole lot longer if no, it's later. No, but obviously he's got to be cleared. I don't believe he's been cleared as of yet in terms of 100% dealing with a head injury. I mean, just look at what happened to him. So he's going to have to get cleared, but I think once he gets cleared, he'll be back in there. And listen, they miss him big time, too, so. Um, I would be shocked if he doesn't play. You know, you got to look at this from a Chara standpoint. My guess is he probably had surgery yesterday, put a plate in there for the broken jaw. And now we're talking about two days off between games from games four into game five. He's not going to play game five. Now you get a couple of games between game five and game six with the travel. And if Boston wins game five, I think there's a good chance you don't see Chara play in game six. And now you're buying even more and more time for him to potentially return for a for a game seven if the series would reach game seven. So I think a lot depends on how the Boston Bruins do in game five uh, as to when we see Chara come back and return. But even with the surgery and the plate in his in his jaw, I, I, I have a feeling we're going to see him before the series is over as well. I don't think we can gloss over the fact a guy has a broken jaw. And there's all this talk about, well, will he play in game five? or mm-hmm. when You cannot. We've always said the hockey guys are tough as nails. Yeah, and, and That's he, unbelievable. And, and, and he's as tough as it gets. I mean, isn't that unbelievable? He's I, got a broken jaw, and we're like, well, can he play in a couple of days from now? He's, yeah, maybe. He's legendary for his pain tolerance and some of the stuff that he's played through in the past. So I would that's think... That's what I'm saying. To his yes, credit, that's yes. unbelievable. No, it is unbelievable. I mean, you take a puck in the jaw like that. You know how bad that hurts? Even the fact that he was I don't, back. And I really don't want to find out. <laughs> no, nobody would want to find out. And, you know, even the fact that he was back on the bench, just, I mean, his presence alone, because, I mean, he truly is the godfather of the Boston Bruins, right? I mean, just got a lot of younger guys. They all look up to him. He's their leader, unquestionably. They got a couple other good leaders, too. But, I mean, he's the guy, just like Bergeron maybe is the guy on the offensive side, maybe at the other end of the bench. But, you know, Char brings so much in terms of just his presence alone. So, you so know. what does it mean for the Blues? Then let's be crass about it. Okay, mm-hmm. he's out in yeah. five, it seems like. That's mm-hmm. great news yeah. to lose a presence like that on their team. Yeah. So for the Blues, it's it's a huge swing. and Major swing. You know, I mean, it's a huge swing. You don't have a guy like Chara out there. Now, listen, Chara's not the same player he was a couple of years ago, so I'm not going to sit here and say that he is. I mean, there's times when he's not very impressive. Charlie McAvoy does a lot of work for him. It goes hand in hand when those two guys are out there together. So it's not just about Chara. But again, I think it's just his leadership, his presence, uh, that they're going to miss just as much as his length, his ability to get pucks out, his ability to get sticks in the lane, the block shots. You know, probably doesn't have as much presence in the offensive end as much as he used to. He backs off the blue line much sooner than he probably did, although he made a play in Game 3 where he slid down the wall and it resulted in a goal when he got a puck on net. Um, But... Listen, we're talking about a former Norris Trophy winner, one of the best defensemen 
of his generation. He's not going to be in there. We all know that's a major, major bonus for the Blues, and it'll be interesting to see if they can take advantage of it. It's a Hockey Wednesday here, Midday Grind. Coveted Hour. If you want to text in to Strick, ask your questions, 855-282-8255. Remember, it's Daddy's time of year, so get those questions in. 855-282-8255. The uh, Take It to the Bank text line presented by Triad Bank. You'll find them in Frontenac, triadbanking.com, one block west of Lindbergh on Clayton Road, real close to the Highway 6440. Yes. Lindbergh exit, easy to get to, so wherever you are, Triad Bank is near you. And if you're tired of the uh, runaround or... The hassle. The hassle, yeah, just the... What does runaround mean? No, no, we're not going there. Triad Bank <laughs> is the place to go for all your banking needs. And again, triadbanking.com is the website. All right, Strick, no lineup changes for the Blues you wouldn't anticipate. I don't think you play a game like that and change anything, correct? No, you don't change anything. And listen, I mean, that's where Craig Berube is so underrated. I know he's a motivator. I mean, he gets his players to play like the Kool-Aid man where they just are ready to run through a brick wall. Sometimes that can work against you like we saw in Game 3 where they were so amped up. I called it revved up hockey with you on Fox 2 as well. That's That was, you know, it's about... Listen, you want to be motivated, you want to be ready to play, uh, you want to be energized and, and ready to, you know, to go out there and play hard, but you got to be able to channel, channel that emotion properly, and you don't want to have players playing away from what they do best. So we saw the great Alex Petrangelo in Game 4, we saw him get away from that in Game 3, trying to play maybe a style of hockey that doesn't suit his skill set. Um, but Craig Berube's ability to not just motivate his players um, and get them to play hard because this time of year it truly is about who's willing to go balls to the wall more than the opposition. And that's what it comes down to. Both teams are good, but you can make the argument in all four series the Blues are going up against teams that are more skilled than they are. But are those teams willing to match the intensity and the drive that they play with shift after shift? I mean, they are so difficult to play against, Martin. It's almost like if you're sitting outside on the porch Having a, I don't know what your drink of choice is. What is it? Maybe a little Jack yeah. and Coke. Maybe a Manhattan. Yeah, a little, yeah. little Manhattan. Or probably a smoothie. Yeah, smoothie. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fruit smoothie. Yeah. If it's before like 9 a.m. or something like that, yeah. Uh, and you just yeah, got... 9 a.m. is the cutoff. Because yes, after yes, 9, nine it's hard liquor, yes. yes. But before that, it's and a smoothie. you've got just bees swarming you. You've got gnats and mosquitoes swarming you. I mean, that's how the Blues play. I mean, they are so frustrating and so annoying to play against. And players on opposite teams have said that about the team, really going back to February and March, um, just in terms of what it's like to play against a Blues team. And now you're hearing about it as well here in the um, in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, just look at how difficult they are to play against. That's the best way to describe St. Louis. First three rounds, I've said this on this air several times, first three rounds, games one through three, the Blues allowed 33 goals against. Games four through seven, 16 goals against. And now that number has you know, increased. I haven't done the math here in the Stanley Cup final. But obviously, you see the Blues wear better, teams down. Better later, but it's The later the, of the series goes, interesting. they are difficult to play against because of how they wear you down. 33 goals against in games one through three in the first three rounds. 16 goals against in games four through seven. There's only been one game, uh, one game seven, but in games four through six, and then you include that one game seven where they allowed just one goal in that double overtime game. I mean, that is the best compliment, but also the best description to how difficult they are. Seven to play and one against. in games five, six, and seven this postseason, outscoring teams twenty-five to ten. There you go. Seven uh, and one games five, six. All right, let me games five, six, and seven yep. in this postseason. Yep. I'm scoring them twenty-five to ten. 
Okay, but I think they've... Oh, games five through seven. Five nice. through seven. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay. So that's not including games fours. I got you. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. Because they're better because, you know, they've won more. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about <laughs> limiting the, the scope. Stricter makes you look yeah. Well, I want to make sure my math was right. It oh, said sure 16 it goals yeah. against in the games four through seven. So then I thought maybe I was wrong there, but no. Okay. All right, let me dive into that a little bit because this is who they are. Mm-hmm. Is this who they were supposed to be but weren't earlier? Like, was it a coaching style? Like, yo, and Bar- yeah. did Barubi look at what they were doing and say, listen, guys, we're not great at skating. We're mm-hmm. Did they kind of have to alter to get to this? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I think it's a great question. Thank um, you. Ring yes. the bell. Yes. Here we go, Martin. There you go. Thank you. No, this, this is who and they have to be. And if Prongs is listening, text in. Tell, that was a great question. This is who they have to be. What do we say about St. Louis the first half of the season? What was the narrative with a lot of national media who would – you know, come on this air and whatever, probably on hockey sense. But what would they say? The Blues are a slow hockey team, right? They can't skate. They're slow. And we said that over and over in the Mike era, our Mike Yo era, first half of the season. So pre-Baruby, they look slow, and they're not very skilled, right? I mean, you bring in Tyler Bozak, what kind of impact is he going to have? He's not doing much. Pat Maroon, he's not doing much. Alexander Steen can't play a top-six role. Well, all of a sudden, Craig Berube slots everybody where they need to be for the best of the team to be able to play a a style that fits their skill set but also can lead to them having success. And it's a much more simpler approach. You hear Braden Shen say all the time that it's not the prettiest style. It's not the most exciting style to watch, although I don't think fans are saying that they're not excited or that the way the Blues are playing right now isn't exciting. But he got everybody to accept a role and gave each line and every individual an identity that they can be proud of and that they're willing to take in to each and every game. And then, of course, you get a goaltender who's stopping the puck. And when you're getting saves, it makes everybody else look better. But he put Pareko and Bomeister together. He separated Bomeister from Petrangelo. Petrangelo's game got elevated when he started playing with a variety of different guys, most notably a guy like Carl Gunnarsson who can you know, calm things down and maybe a good balance for a guy like Petrangelo. Um, you know, he made Bo Meester and Pareko their true shutdown line to where they're going up against the other team's top line each and every game. But if they don't get out, if they get out of a matchup, obviously you have a guy like Petrangelo who can step up. I mean, we call these guys the fourth line, which we have to stop doing. And it's simply based on how much they're playing. I mean, Oscar Sundquist is playing 19 and a half minutes last game. I mean, 19 and a half minutes. That's not a fourth-line center. Can I also say about him, mm -hmm. I love the fact he didn't change what he does. Even though he got the suspension, he was drilling everybody. He didn't come out and play timid or, oh, boy, the league is going to be on me or they're calling things tighter. He was crushing guys. Yeah, and I did an interview with him on our post-game show after the game where he said he felt guilty. You know, like he felt guilty for his suspension a little bit. And you know what? He still didn't change his style. But they're also going up against the Bergeron line, and they're playing a ton of minutes. And, you know, it's just further proof that, you know, hockey, and I said this the other day on Twitter, hockey is, it truly is about role players. I mean, you need to have high-end players. you got to have great players, all-star caliber players to have success. But the game is about role players. And it just goes to show you how different this team looks. When you bring in a Sunquist, he's back in the lineup, and a guy like Vince Dunn comes in the lineup who, you know, he didn't play a ton. I think he played... 12 and a half minutes, somewhere in that range. But he just gave you a different look opposite of Petrangelo when they were together. And certainly on the power play, just in terms of his creativity and mobility 
his ability to get body position, his ability to escape pressure with his legs. I mean, it's a completely different look. But these are role players who all of a sudden take the Blues from being at one level to a completely different level. I thought another example of how it not only wears teams down, but maybe you start having your head on a swivel. If you know they're going to hit you a lot. Early in that game, Pasternak, like the puck was near him. He didn't even look for the puck. He kind of turned mm-hmm. and like braced for a hit that didn't happen. Yeah, He almost turtled like two feet from the boards because he thought he might get hit mm-hmm. and didn't even worry about the puck. And I thought that's the best example. Yeah. It's not a good look for him, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's the best example of they know what's coming. Yeah. Did well, you see that moment? You no, know what I'm talking and that, and about? That's, that's the result of just getting pounded shift after shift after shift. I mean, when you have the Sunquist line, because it truly is about Sunquist and Barbershop. I mean, Steen has been a great compliment on that line, easy player to adapt to. And he brings, obviously, some leadership, the communication that he has, understanding how to play time and score. You even heard Craig Berube talk about it yesterday. Their changes were unbelievable in terms of getting pucks in the right area, getting off the ice, getting fresh players on the ice. I mean, those are the details that you have to play with if you're going to have success in hockey. And people don't look at that. It's all about the goals. You want to see the big hits and everything, killing penalties. But those are the details you have to have in your game if you want to have success. Alexander Steen's a big part of that because he reminds him of that. He helps him understand how to play time and score. But Barbashev and Sunquest have incredible chemistry together, and they're pounding guys. I mean, they're getting pucks in. They're using their speed to forecheck, and that's exactly what the Blues got away from in Game 3 and how they have to play. They kill penalties together. I mean, their chemistry 5-on-5 five five or on the PK is exceptional, and it's been like that for several weeks. And they're good friends off the ice. Um, those two guys, you talk about role players who, I mean, all of a sudden look like guys that are going to be in the league for the next 10 years. I mean, those starts with those two guys. They've been unbelievable. And was I correct in looking at Sanford? I know he's a bigger body, but he, I don't think he necessarily plays a bigger game. But I thought the other night he was extremely physical. Mm-hmm. Almost, You could almost sense his excitement to be part of a Stanley Cup final. I know it's his hometown, yeah. the yeah. team he grew up watching. Mm-hmm. But I thought he kind of amped up even his energy level or his willingness to be physical. Well, that's the chief effect, right? All these guys who play that style, when you say, hey, maybe it's a little bit out of their character based off what we've seen from that player in the past, I mean, he gets them to understand how they have to play, number one, if they want to stay in the lineup, but also how they have to play to impact the game. You know, and, you know, the fact that he was still willing to do that, you look at his assist to Barbershev in Game 3, not a whole lot of highlights in that game for St. Louis, but he put Char on his ass, right? Can we say that in this show? You did. Um, uh, he put Chara. It's a hockey show. You yeah. can say whatever. He, he, and, and we, gonna... We've got Cam Jansen on the air. Yes. He'll yes. pound some beers yes. and pound yes. some topics, so I think you're fine. <laughs> I mean, there's Cam and then there's Cam at a golf tournament, right? We love that. Um, Cam so, unplugged. Yes, we like that. So, But he put Chara on his backside there, right, with a little bit of a reverse. And, you know, this is not a big man. I mean, he's tall. Well, that's what I'm know? saying. People say, oh, he's yeah. a bigger body. But, I'm like, he's pretty lanky. What's the, what's the word that Craig Ruby used to describe it? Zach Sanford after game three. Uh, this is the phrase that pays. Do I get a prize? Mm. I don't remember. Heavy. And we have not heard people describe Zach Sanford as being a heavy player in the past. And he played a heavy game. But he's also a skilled player who can make plays. At this stage of the year in the Stanley Cup final, you need players, when the puck's on their stick, who can make a play and can do something with it. And that's why Sanford over Fabry is the right decision. Fabry had no shots on goal in game three. He had five hits. Those hits probably didn't impact the game. Um, but, you know, they need guys who, when they have the puck on the stick, especially in the offensive end, who can identify 
the right play and then execute the right play. And Sanford is the guy who can do that. He's got points in back-to-back games. So, again, the right call, getting these guys back in, fresh legs, didn't play for six weeks, not easy watching, playing against his uh, hometown team. Dad passed away back in training camp. You know he's dealing with a lot of emotions right now playing in this situation. I'm sure he went to a lot of Bruins games as a kid with his dad. Um, that guy just looked like he was ready to play. Credit to him, but also credit to the co- uh, coaching staff. And if you're Boston, you probably walk away saying, all right, it's 2-2. We, we didn't play our best. They dominated, including stretches in the second period where they mm-hmm. couldn't get the puck out at all. Yeah. And we still lose a game basically 3-2. I mean, I think if you're Boston, they've got to be feeling good. I know we're taking it from the St. Louis angle. Yeah. They feel pretty good right it, now. It was a 2-2 game, you know, late in the game. They, they felt pretty good about that. Um, I got to give a shout-out, though, to, uh, to Mike Van Ryan, who has not been getting – enough attention in my opinion for what he's done defensively because a lot of people were wondering hey who was going to come out of the lineup with Vince Dunn coming back in and they made the call with Robert Bertuzzo and I talked to Van Ryan about this after the game and his thought process was and believe me he made the call here I mean along with Chief I mean they talk about it sure Doug Armstrong is involved in the conversation as well but he knew that he could rely on four defensemen deep in the game if he needed to okay so you had you know uh, Pareko and and Bo Meester and then you had Gunnarsson and Petrangelo. Those four guys pretty much carried the load in the third period. Um, Edmondson played seven and a half minutes His the entire game. His seems to be down a little bit. Didn't or, play much, right? Yeah. You didn't see Dunn out there a whole lot. But it allowed them, with Gunnarsson staying in the lineup and Bortuzzo going out, when they went to four defensemen, it allowed them to keep their righty-lefty matchups. Are uh, you know and and exactly you know as opposed to trying to have somebody slide over and play their offside, so you keep their righty lefty uh, lefty matchups together. Now you can roll two sets of of defensemen and allow them to go to work and close out the game, and that's exactly what happened. So, like that's coaching, and that's where coaching comes into play. Here's a guy who doesn't get a whole lot of recognition, but you know he's been a head coach at the American Hockey League level, been a head coach in the junior level. He gets it. He's a smart, smart guy. And I really believe that, you know, both he and Steve Ott, and this is what happens when you win, these are going to be rising head coaching candidates moving forward. I'm not going to sit here and say next year. Um, Maybe they need more experience on the bench. I mean, Steve Ott obviously wasn't even on the bench to begin the season. I mean, he was (coughs) up in the press box with the earpiece in his ear, okay, when Mike Yo was the head coach. Now he's on the board drawing up plays when the Blues have an extra attacker in the final minute of a game. <laughs> I mean, so that gives you an idea of what he's bringing to the table. Both guys want to be head coaches, and I think they will be at some point over the course of their coaching career. This really doesn't matter, but it's interesting. What's the price tag right now on Craig Berube? I mean, some of the co- so your premier coaches are the Quinvilles, mm-hmm. Babcocks, these guys, even yeah. Trots, have yeah, been around that are proven that have made you know, are making big time dollars. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go there, but if yeah. you're if you offered Craig Berube a deal in January, February, it might have been, hey, we like some of the turnaround. You had Correct. the winning streak. Correct. We'll give you 1.2 a year or going rates 1.3, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Now now his stock, he's a household name it's in the city. It's going to be high. I mean, is, are we three, you think, at oh, this I think, point? I think it's somewhere in that range. I Isn't mean, that just crazy I mean, to the, think? The, the high-end coaches are making 6 to $8 right. million dollars a year. Now he's got a Stanley Cup on his resume if they're able to close this thing out. Obviously, if you win it, the number is going to be higher than it will be if they don't, um, but I think they're going to try to be as responsible if they can with it. I mean, listen, Jordan Bennington, if they close this thing out, 
is looking at a significant number. That's going to be interesting. To, to me, it's more interesting what he makes for a couple of reasons than Craig Berube. Number one, it, it impacts the salary Correct. cap. Correct. The, okay? the Berube money doesn't affect so, your no, operation. But, but And he's got arbitration rights. I, I, I don't see it not going to arbitration. And if the Blues take him to ARB, then, you know, hey, you got to, you got you, there, there's the risk of Jordan Bennington electing to have a two year term. He gets to choose one or two year term if it goes to arbitration. He takes two years, that walks him straight up to unrestricted free agency. So the Blues will try to probably avoid that if they can, but the player can take the team to arbitration where the team would look at a one year award. But um, listen, these, these are conversations to probably have. After this, sure. after this round, but it's certainly something to uh, to think about because that could get interesting once they get into the negotiations with Jordan Bennington. On the two Boston goals, both off of rebounds, anything he could have done differently? I think he got a glove on the you first one. Maybe is yeah. there anything? He, I'm not. I'm not nitpicking. The guy no, played great. I'm just curious as a real. If we're nerding out on hockey, yeah. Yeah. could he have done anything different on both of the goals? Maybe. I mean, you look at the rebound control, possibly because the puck was rolling on Bergeron when he, you know, was it when he shot the puck. It was a great play. I'm talking about the shorthanded goal here. Great play from Bergeron, or excuse me, from Marshawn. Um, just the patience at the blue line, and that's why they're dangerous shorthanded because they throw those guys on the ice. Great recognition by Carlo to jump up and obviously, you know, finish it. You'd like to see maybe maybe the the rebound control to be a little bit better from Bennington there. You know, some people talking to people who who know the goaltending position certainly better than I do. Like Coos after the game, like Coos and Zach Choate and you yeah. know insiders. <laughs> no, but guys who truly know the game and and the uh, the goaltending position, they didn't feel like he had a good game even though he only allowed a couple of goals. Well, that's uh, kind of why I brought that up. And that he played a little bit loose, and and maybe you know he's not on his game at the same level we've seen from him earlier in the playoffs. Easy to say, listen, it's all about giving your team a chance to win. He did that. And certainly, you know, the thing about Jordan Bennington is that when it gets to a certain point in the game, and it's a tie game, he doesn't usually allow that next goal, right? He locks it down. And he gives your you know your team a chance to get that next goal, and then obviously win. So I'm not going to nitpick a guy. <laughs> no, who, and I'm who not ga- nitpicking. Who, who, two gave, goals who is, gave up two goals, did his job, curious. and won the game. No, I think you're on the right page there because I think a lot that. of people like, would agree with you. People, like I said, and I talked to people who who who've been around the game for a long time, understand the goaltending position, played the goaltending position at the highest level. They didn't. They, they feel like he's got. He's going to have to be better, and that he was a little bit loose. In game four, so take that as you will. Offenberg Hyundai, one of our great sponsors. It's their 30th anniversary. They were the original Hyundai dealer in this area. So when Grandpa Offenberg said, you know what, we can carry the Hyundai brand, let's do it. And along the way, Hyundai hired the top designers and engineers, and they've picked up the North American car of the year a couple of different times with what they've been able to develop and put on the road. Stop by, go for a test drive, see what I've been talking about all these years. And on top of the great vehicles, you get great service. That's what Offenberg Hyundai has been about since day one. It's O'Fallon, Illinois, Highway 64, Greenmount Road, the exit. It's right there on the interstate. You can see it. Check out the great showroom, great service. My sister's colleague went there the other day, had a budget, said I can spend about 20000 I need a pre-owned vehicle. And they hooked her up with a car that was almost brand new. She's ecstatic with the service she got. That's the experience you'll have when you head. Offenberg Hyundai. When we come back, I want to talk to Strick a little bit about just the atmosphere and what that meant to Blues fans, but maybe just the hockey community to see what was on display.
the other night. I forget. Was it Monday night? I've already forgotten the days. It was Monday night. What day is today? Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday? today's Wednesday. I feel like Big Walt. I don't know what day it is. Uh, more with Strick. We'll get to your text as well at 855-282-8255. The Coveted Hour with our Wednesday hockey program.